Let's go to get started. It's good to see you, by the way. Let's go ahead and get started. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for watching over us this past week. We thank you for um, warm weather or warmer-ish weather and the pleasure of that and being able to see the outside and see sunshine and enjoy company. Lord, we thank you for um, us being able to get back together and get involved in this. We pray today, especially right now, as Wes prepares to gather with uh, his uh, core group for his church plant this morning as they begin a worship service. Pray for Fred and CJ as they gather their uh, fellow residents at the, the, the apartments there together for a worship service this afternoon. We pray that you would bless both, enrich them both, and through them, Lord, we pray that good things would come and your name would be hallowed. Lord, be with us in our class this morning and, and uh, guide us as we dive into Psalm 20. In Jesus' name, amen. I assume it was today. Did I get the right day? Okay, got it. All right, so we're back to Psalms. The Psalms. <clears throat> we are at Psalm 20. So grab a Bible, uh, steal the neighbor's Bible, whatever you need to do. It's a joke, it's a joke. Pull up a Bible app. All right, Psalm 20. Let me go ahead and read Psalm 20. To the choir master, a psalm of David, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt offerings, Selah. May he grant your heart's desire, you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation and in the name of our God set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that Yahweh, that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of Yahweh our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. O Lord, O Yahweh, save the king. May he answer us when we call. So there's Psalm 20. All right, so I'm calling the psalm, I'm just, it's our class on the psalm, I'm calling it In the Day, because there's, uh, there's the, the, and I'll show you here in a second, but the psalm actually begins with In the Day, In the Day of Trouble, and it ends with In the Day um, That He Saves, or something like that. In the Day, oh, In the Day We Call. It doesn't show that in your English Standard Version, but that's the way it is in Hebrew. So I felt like, well, if David bookended the psalm with In the Day, then I'll do the class, calling it in the day, all right? And so, um, very quickly, as I said, in the day is at both ends of the psalm in, in the Hebrew, in verse 1 and in verse 9. So I'm actually going to break it down into three points using in the day, because the psalm actually has three sections. So the first five verses are in the day of trouble, verses 1 through 5, uh, verses 6 to 8, in the day of salvation, and then verse 9, in the day we call. You ready? 
All right, in the day of salvation. So you're looking at verses 1 through 5. All right, so there's no historical notes that are attached to the psalm at the beginning. It just simply says a psalm of David, something like that. It doesn't tell you any historical background to the choir master of psalm of David. So there's no historical notes attached to it, but yet based on a fairly close reading of the psalm, what is the likely context of Psalm 20? As you look back through it, what is the likely context? Yeah, yeah, very likely uh, war. Um, it may not have happened yet. It may be beginning. In fact, you think about somewhere in the Old Testament, it talked about in the season when kings went out to war, right? So it's talking about springtime when the ground thaws and grass is growing. So, you know, and you've got warmer weather. Usually that's when the fights happen. Nobody fights in the winter. Come on, be serious. You know, at least not in that day. Okay, so it's, Probably a, a, a battle is looming, and he's getting ready to be. He's written, uh, the king David is getting ready to go out with his troops. That is probably very much likely the context. Okay, so uh, add to your explanation then verse six and verse nine. As you look at verse six and verse nine, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, but this is important. As you look at verse six and verse nine, how would that add to your context? of how you know what, uh, how would that add to your explanation what the context is? Psalm 20, verse 6 and verse 9. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, there's, there's history, right? But it's also about salvation. Answer for you all in heaven, saving right, might of your right, of his right hand. Okay, what else? What you think about? Yeah, say the king, the anointed. Ah, yes. Yeah, so another another Goliath of some kind, right? Yeah. Yeah, very good. Yeah. Very good. Okay, so uh, so that's likely the context. So notice then the, the word you in the first verse is actually first person singular. Um, it's interesting when it's second person singular and when it's first person singular. But here it's first person singular. May the Lord answer you singular in the day of trouble. So there's, um, this is, the first part of this is actually a prayer. We'll get into all that in a minute. But it is specifically for the Lord's anointed, as Bill was pointing out, okay? Um, Yeah, we'll get, we'll get there in a minute. Hold that. Good. You're good. It's okay, Moose. Yeah. So here's what Derek Kidner says. In this one man, so remember, this is, this is, a, this is a prayer. This, and blessing, by the way, is a prayer. This is a prayer for one man, for the anointed. Okay? But you know, especially as the anointed, the king, the connection between the king, the leader, and the led. So this is what Derek Kidner uh, points out. In this one man, in the king, the whole people see themselves embodied and their national life sustained. Of course they want him to succeed, because if he succeeds, they succeed. If he fails, what happens to them? They fail. So their whole destiny is wrapped up in this one. You know, if you're a Christian, you 
probably have some things going on in your head right now as you hear that talk, okay? And so that's uh, very important to see why they would be praying. And so, or as, um, another way to put it is this way, is as it goes with the king and his forces, so it goes with the people. So their destinies and their fortunes are locked closely together. So keep that in mind as we go through this part of the psalm. So in the day of trouble... So these first five verses are what type of speech? Moose has already mentioned a blessing, but even more specifically than a blessing. Because when we think of blessing, we just think, oh, somebody just said good things about somebody else. Okay? Unless you're Mississippi, because when you bless somebody in Mississippi, it could be the opposite. Okay, I'm just telling you. She blessed me out so good, let me tell you, I was embarrassed. Yeah, yeah. I wonder who that was. May. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. Yeah. This one's an easy one to actually see that repeat, and that's good. But may is also, so may is, a, is blessing language, but blessing is not just something by my own authority. When, when you hear me, for example, give the benediction, actually, I don't even, I don't know, I'm not sure I even say may, I just say the Lord bless you and keep you. So I just go ahead and declare. But may, yeah, so may is actually not just a declaration, but actually may is what, what kind of language does may sound like? Petition. It's a request. Yeah, it is hopeful, but it's a prayer language, okay? And that'll be important, by the way, tonight, those of you who come to the evening service, we'll talk about that some more. Yes, yes. Yeah, right, right. So that's very good, Fred. So it is the people praying. So notice that it is prayer. That's the type of speech. And you know, because as Moose was pointing out, how often the word may keeps popping up. They're praying for the king because their destinies are deeply wrapped together. They're praying for the Lord's anointed as he goes out, gets ready to go out to battle, okay? So very good. So by the way, that's the, that's the difference between uh, um, a benediction or declaration and a prayer is the word, is if may is used. If may is used, that is a prayer, Okay? If it's now the Lord bless you or something like that, that's a declaration of benediction. Okay? That sounds like, you know, small details, but it is just linguistically, it's a difference. Okay? And so the fact that may is used here is very much a prayer. Okay, secondly, uh, first line of verse 1. The first line of verse 1, and then you look at the descriptive name of God in verse 2. Notice what he says. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. Okay, so in the day of trouble, the God of Jacob. Those two thoughts. Okay, I want to take you to Genesis 35, verse 3. It's very interesting how this is being done here. So everybody go to Genesis 35, verse 3. All right. 
And by so yeah, I'll point this out in a minute. So here's um, uh, God. So I'm gonna start at verse one. God said to Jacob, "Arise and go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau." So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, "Put away the foreign gods." That are among you. So this is after Jacob has come back out of uh, the north country, where his, uh, where, um, oh, uh, what's his name? Uh, the guy that didn't like him, the dad that didn't like him, the father-in-law who didn't like him, right? Uh, as he comes back towards uh, towards the family land, towards the land that was promised to Abraham, Jacob said to his household, "Put away all who are um, and to all who are with him. Put away the foreign gods that are among you, and purify yourselves, and change your garments. Let us arise and go up to Bethel, which means house of God, so that I may make there an altar to the, to the God who answers in the day of in the day of my distress. That Hebrew word distress is the same as the word trouble back in Psalm 20. So he answers in the day of my trouble. Do you hear the connection? Okay, he answers in the day of my trouble and has been with me wherever I have gone. And it goes from there. So it's very interesting that as David actually puts these words of prayer into the mouths of his people, that's interesting too. He's putting these words of prayer into the mouths of his people. The very first thing he says, just like you are the God of Jacob, and just like you are the one who answered Jacob in the day of his trouble, Answer, may the Lord answer you. The God of Jacob answer you in the day of your trouble. Do you see how this connects together? Okay, good. All right. And stop me if you have questions. So verse 4, notice the connection then in verse 4, and verse nine, uh, chapter 19, verse 14. May he grant you the desires of your heart's desire, but if you've already just sung or read Psalm 19, verse 14, there's a connection even there. This is why you can pray this prayer. May the Lord grant you your heart's desire, because what's David's desire, chapter 19, 14? Yes. Okay, it's kind of like, um, um, you know, the scripture talks about... Um, um, how the in chapter in Psalm chapter thirty uh, four about uh, or thirty seven when he talks about uh, he will give you your heart's desire, but in the context of Psalm thirty seven, it's because your heart wants what God wants, right? That's crucial. But it's interesting that that's the prayer. May he give you your heart's desire. There's nothing wrong with us asking that. Uh, you know, hopefully that somebody's heart's desire is actually in the right direction, right? But sometimes when you ask that, you're actually praying an imprecatory prayer. Oh, may God give you your heart's desire, you know. And then, because some hearts don't desire good things, and, and the end results are bad. So that's an interesting prayer. But his heart's desire is, let the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength, my strength and my redeemer. And so here, may, may the Lord answer your heart's desire. Um, notice the words save and salvation. I need to talk about this a little bit. I'm going to bring it up again when we get to verse, uh, verse 6 and following. But salvation, notice how often, how often is the word salvation saves, save, saving, and um, save? How often are those used in this psalm? In this psalm.
You got to look at your Bible usually and count. I see a hand that says three. Anybody want to go for th- I hear three? I hear three. I hear three once. Do I hear, I hear four? Anybody say, I hear four. Anybody want to say five? Five. Do I hear five? Five. Sold to four right there. Okay. That's why I'm never going to be an auctioneer. <laughs> four times it's used. Okay. It's Hosea or, or, or a Yash, a, a, a Shua. Okay. It's all these verb forms from Shua. All right. And it's used once in verse 5, twice in verse 6, and once in verse 9. I want you to, I want to make a Jesus connection very quickly. Our Lord's name draws from that Hebrew word, okay? Jesus in the Hebrew is Yahashua, Yahweh saves, okay? And so when it talks about, uh, just so you'll see the connection there, when he says, uh, may we shout for joy over your salvation, your, your, uh, your, um, Oh, I forgot how it is in Hebrew. Hoshua or something like that. Whatever it is. But it's that shua, shua language, okay? And he uses it four times, okay? Our problem when we see the word salvation is we think like good modernistic post-enlightenment Protestants and we only think that that means the salvation of my own individual soul and that's all that that means. Salvation is huge in the Old Testament. I challenge you to go through and start looking at salvation the Old Testament. It's everything from, yes, my relationship with God, but also my own physical well-being, my protection from enemies, uh, even restored health. So salvation is a giant word. So when you see salvation, don't just think of something very, very narrow and small like we think of uh, very often, we have to have a bigger context because it means far more than we normally define it as. Okay, does that make sense? So he's asking when he's when he's pray, when the people are praying for David, may God grant you salvation. Um, may we shout for joy over your salvation. It's victory. May we shout for joy over your victory against this this foe that is threatening, and uh, and your coming back unwounded. Right. You're coming back to continue to reign. So we're shouting for joy for your victory, your success, your, your salvation. God rescuing you from this dire situation. Does that make sense? So we need to start thinking of salvation far bigger um, than just me being saved from hell. That's a big part of it, but it's not all. Okay? And so when it says, when, when Jesus' name is Yahweh saves, the Lord our Savior, the Lord saves, you should be thinking bigger things about Jesus. Yes? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, good application. Hold on to that. We will come around to that. But that's good. That's exactly where I wanted us to be thinking. Score. So now Moose has got credibility and Pam's got credibility. I don't know about the rest of you all. So that's good. All right, so uh, verse 5, banners. When it talks about banners... Um, May we shout for joy for your salvation and in the name of our God set up our banners. 
Okay, does anybody remember in Numbers chapter 2, how is Israel in the wilderness, how does God have Israel um, uh, collected and how does he have them put about in the camp? Instead of being a gaggle and of confusion, he actually puts some order to the disorder. Oh, our God is a God of order. Why, Paul said that once. Yes. So he puts them in order. How does he put them? Anybody remember? Fred. Okay, leaders for the camps. And by tribe, Mike, were you going to say, is that what you said, Mike? That's what uh, John said. Okay, Mike, John. <laughs> he sets him up as a military battalion on the move. So each camp is set up in specific places around and to protect the tabernacle in the middle. And each tribe has a banner or in the Numbers 2, it's translated as standard, but that's a banner that says, here's the tribe of Judah. And all the Judahites who happen to maybe be out picking up manna or something like that, they know where their tribe is and they can head back there. Okay, And so that's the language here. Now you think about going out to war in a day when you don't have radios and you don't have uh, satellites. Um, and if anybody's ever read, read Kloschwitz's uh, War, the book on war, which all the people in the academies had to read. I don't know if they still do. He talks about the fog of war. When you get into combat, you don't know if, you're, if, you're, if, you're, if the guy next to you is actually your enemy or not when the dust storm's coming and the smoke is coming because of the explosions and stuff, right? So you would often have, um, you would have banners that would tell you where the king is or might tell you where the king is or the king's entourage is. You would have banners that tell you where your unit is. So when you got lost in the confusion of hand-to-hand combat, which is highly confusing, go read the Iliad or the, and, and you'll see what I'm talking about. It's highly confusing. When you finally get your head about you, you can look around, you see your banner, and you know where, back, where to rally back to. Right? The banner was extremely important. Okay? Were you going to say something? Mm-hmm. 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 That's fine. Sure, yes. But you know, as especially if you're if I'm if I'm the praying people, if we're the praying people, we're probably not out there in the battle. So what are we looking for to come back? The winner, and how are you going to know that the winner is coming back? The banner, so a line of sight. You're going to see the king marching back or coming back with his troops, his banners up. It's the king's banner, the king's returning, the king has won! Right? Celebration. So you see those connections there? That's what they're longing for. They want to see that happen. That's the prayer. Yeah, yeah, right. The, those that were still alive, yes. All right, so um, any questions up to this point? Any questions up to this point? Any observations you want to make? All right, so summarize what verses 1 through 5 is asking for in a what situation. Just summarize it. We've already kind of exhausted it a little bit, but summarize it so you'll know, and I'll remember too. What's the situation? 
distress and trouble, and it's probably him getting ready to go out into to battle. What's the what's being asked for? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that God would be with him and because our destiny is wrapped up with his, that whole connection, right? And so it's all different aspects of victory. So may he remember all your offerings in regard with favor, your burnt offerings, which often would be part of the praying because the, often the smoke was part of that with the incense and such. May he grant your heart's desire, fulfill all your plans, right? If you're going into battle, yes, Lord, it would be nice if you fulfilled all of our plans in this battle, right? So may the Lord fulfill your plans. So it is, in a nutshell, it's asking for God to grant victory and grant the king, the anointed, the Lord's anointed success as he goes into this battle, okay? And it's doing it in different, different uh, angles. Okay, so how might you use verses 1 through 5 in a prayer? Let's say, here's some examples. While you're sitting there with a Christian family of a sickly child who is in the NICU. Now this goes to something Pam brought up. If the destiny of the king and the people are wrapped up, praying for the king, you're praying for the people. Can you use verses 1 through 5 in praying for God's people? And I'm saying yes. So let me give you some concrete examples. How would you, could you use verses 1 through 5 in a prayer while you're sitting there with a Christian family of a sickly child who is in the NICU and it's touch and go for the child? How could you, could you use verses 1 through 5? I may not use every verse, but could you use, could it guide you in, as you're praying? Yeah, right. Absolutely. Okay. And who hasn't been in a day of trouble? How nice would it be for somebody to pull up next to you while you're in your day of trouble and say, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you, right? May he send you help from his heavenly sanctuary. May he uh, give you support from Zion. Right? Okay, good. So how might you employ verses 1 through 5 when you're visiting a church member who's facing a life-threatening surgery? Same way? Yes. And so may we shout for joy for your salvation, your, vic- your deliverance from this, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Good. So I think you can use verses 1 through 5 as you're praying for people. So, as I already asked this, but is there anyone here who has been in the day of trouble that needed others to pray these words for them? Yeah. D says, trouble? I ain't got no trouble. I just cause trouble. What y'all talking about? <laughs> yeah, so I just want you to see that how valuable Psalm 20 is already and, how the, and the connection. As you are united to Christ, as I am praying then, I mean, your destiny and our Lord's destiny are wrapped up, so it's very fitting to take this prayer for the king and even for, and make it for his people. Yes. Yeah. 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 
Yeah, yeah. Yep, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we, we want to be able to celebrate the victory, as Moose would put it, the victory banner that says God won, the devil didn't, for example. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so now we're moving on to verses 6 through 8. Okay, everybody ready? So the voice, I put a quotation marks here, I don't know how else to put it. So the voice seems to change when you get to verses 6 through 8. So do you hear the change in voice? And if so, describe what you observe that shows that change of voice. Who does it sound like is actually beginning to talk in verses 6 to 8? David, the Lord's anointed, the king. Okay, So he's responding to their prayer, and he's responding in this way. Now I know, and this is something that Pam brought up earlier, because he's looking at what God has done in the past. And what John was pointing out, David and Goliath, he's got some history to be able to say this verse. Now I know that Yahweh saves his anointed. He will answer from his holy heaven with this, and with the saving might of his right hand. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I have those discussions all the time too. Bill warns me often, don't let anybody know. I do, I talk to myself all the time. The problem is when I begin to argue with myself, I start looking like Smeagol and Golem, you know, and the same person. I'm just, no. It changes, yeah. That's exactly right, yes. Well, I've got two or three, yes. All right, so we're back to the word salvation. Again, it's twice in verse 6 and again in verse 9 and back up in verse 5. I just want you to see that connection and remember that Hebrew word is the very root word for our Lord Jesus. Yahashua, Yahweh saves. Okay, so keep that always in your mind. And so he is giving thanks or he's talking about salvation, that God has been a savior in the past and I have confidence in that he can save in the present. Okay? Um, then notice the tone of faithful confidence. We've kind of already addressed it, but do you see the tone of faithful confidence? It's will language. I know language, right? I know. How do you know, David? Because look at my life and look at how God has saved me before. I know that God can do this. I look at, look at my people's past long before I was even born, how God saved. I know. And then so he's confident. I, he will answer from his holy hill with the saving might of his right hand. Okay? A confidence language. So what is being described in verses 7 through 8? Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen, or we will rise and stand upright. Now, I memorized that from the New King James. That's not the ESV, but that's how I memorized that years ago. But what's going on there? What's being described in verses 7 through 8? Where you put your trust? So some trust in chariots and some in horses. What is that describing? Strength in war, yeah. Okay. Man-centered. Your own resources. Yeah, it's military talk. This was, this was cutting-edge military equipment. Right? Chariots and horses. That was top of the line. If, if Just go back to Judge or Joshua and how frightful 
some of the Israelites were when they said, the Hittites have got chariots, we can't beat them, right? Because that's the, that's the high dollar military advanced equipment. Some trust in that. But our net trust is in the name of the Lord. He does, yes. Towards the end, he does. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, even, even God's people can screw up. Can I say that? Yes, I can say that. Right? So David is a, yeah, excellent. Okay, so I want you to keep that in mind, what's being described there. They put their trust in what is really potent and powerful that's very human-centered, but it's their own achievement and their own uh, technology and their own advanced power. Okay? And yet our trust is in the name of the Lord. And it's interesting that language after that because if somebody thinks of an Easter when you look at verse 8, I think you're right. They collapse and fall. We will stand upright or we will rise and stand upright. We will arise. Somebody should be hearing an Easterish kind of... Yeah, yeah. 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 Right. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, he didn't say that uh, we trust in the name of the Lord our God, so therefore we're going to whoop him. He says we trust in the name of the Lord our God, and so this is what, is when God fights the battle, to put it in simple terms, as it's used in the Old Testament. The Lord won a victory in that battle. The Lord fought for them. When the Lord fights for his people, then that's the outcome against all um, against all odds, against all expectations. Yes. Yes. Welcome to the to the real world. We live there all the time, don't we? But I think it's it's when our confidence is in anything other than the Lord. It doesn't mean we don't do things, right? Because David's going out to war, but who's going to win the battle? But he's still going to go out there and have to get involved in bloodshed and fight. So that's legit, but where's his confidence? In the Lord, right? So yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He was completely distracted and obsessed with all the other, the wicked success and so forth. But David, as he's pointing out here, his focus is in a different place at this point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It is. So like if you were in an Episcopal church, at the beginning of the service, you will hear this response, the Lord be with you. And everybody's facing the priest when they say it, the Lord be with you. And he responds, and also with you. That's a joint prayer. It's actually right out of uh, Ruth, by the way. If you didn't know, that's a Bible prayer. And it's the people praying for the pastor, the pastor responding with a prayer. We used to do that in Midland. I loved it. 
right? It was always encouraging to real to make, and they knew that that's what they were doing. They were praying for me. And if anybody needs prayer in this here room, I just want you to know, right? And so that was a great response. It's the same kind of thing here. It's that Lord be with you and also with you, right? You see that connection there. All right. So horses and chariots were the superior military power. Uh, so what from our time could be put into that category of verse eight, seven and eight? Some trust in chariots and some in horses. Why do people trust in that's at that same level of all the superior military power? Science. I'm sorry. Doctors. Politicians. Nationalism. Bank account. Bank accounts. He's like, yeah, yeah. Your retirement and all that stuff. What else? Yeah, people, government. Well, government's already been said. You can't say that, Mike. Someone already said it. Okay. Ah, well. Yeah, even the military technology we have right now, right? All that stuff. So all the. I'm sorry. A school system, education, right? Always something always is top of the line, so we could actually do this because we have all of this, right? So some trust in blank. And some trust in blank, okay? So whatever it is, yeah, very good. So, let's see here. Here's, I'm going to try to make this applicable here, okay? I'm not try, I'm going to make this applicable. So how would verse 7 and 8 sound in the mouth of a woman being oppressed by an oppressive husband? If you've ever known that situation, how would that sound in the mouth of, an, of a woman who's being oppressed and been oppressed by her oppressive husband? does give hope. He trusts in his ability to smooth the police all the time so that they never arrest him even though he's been abusive. He trusts in his ability to smooth the court. He trusts in his ability to uh, always be the dominant one. He trusts in that. But my hope is in the name of the Lord. He will eventually fall. But by the grace of God, I'll still be standing. Did you hear that? Okay? I'm sorry? Yeah. Moose? So how would verses 7 and 8 appear when it's spoken by Christians who are being hunted down by their government that is using the most up-to-date fire control radar? This is what our, like our, for example, what our Apaches use. Fire control radar that has target, ground target mode. They can actually see people walking on the ground in the night. You know this language. Yeah. And so, and their helicopters and satellites. How would verse 7 and 8 sound uh, appear when it's spoken by Christians in that context. Because that, that kind of stuff does happen. It doesn't happen in the U.S., but it does happen in some countries. How would verse 7 and 8 appear in their mouth? From their mouth. Okay? Yes. Yeah? 
Yeah, yeah. The Lord struck them all with blindness. That's right, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So some trust in their, their, you know, their technology to hunt us down. But we trust in the name of the Lord. Okay? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Right. And that's why I was pointing out that last part of verse 8. If you think of Easter, yes. We will stand up and we will rise up and stand. Yes, you will. You will because Jesus is risen, right? But, but Mike's right. So Daniel 3, the three, the three friends of Daniel, when they say to King Nebuchadnezzar, the Lord can deliver us. And there ain't a thing you can do about it. But if he doesn't, it doesn't matter. We're still going to do what he says. So absolutely. Okay. So what would verses 7 through 8 look like coming from the groaning heart of a Christian small business owner who is being muscled and manhandled by a gang simply because he is a Christian small business owner? Does that scenario make sense? What would verse 7 and 8 look like coming from the groaning heart of a Christian in that situation? <laughs> So our confidence, even for this situation, our confidence is not, so we don't, all three of these, notice this, all three of these means we're not wrapped up in utter panic. Because where's our confidence? Yes. By the way, Lisa, I love what you just said. We, it's basic. God is in control. It's basic. But it, that's our problem. Yeah, he does. But it's basic and we don't remember. That's our problem. Yes, exactly right. Fred. This is a side note. I had an Episcopal priest friend. He was a conservative fellow, but he used to tell me, he said, you know, when you're praying for someone to be healed, especially a Christian, 
your prayer will be answered. Maybe not right now, but it will be answered. And I think that, having that perspective fits in with what we're talking about here. And so I think that's the point, is our trust is in Him, not in any of our abilities, and it will be answered. Yes, Ada. And that's kind of uh, Psalm 73. That's what actually restrained Asaph from saying what was in his head, right? And not going down that road completely because he realized he was responsible for these people as we are you know, same thing. So yeah, very good. All right, let's move on to verse 9 then. So in the day we call, and that's the way it is in Hebrew. That last part, by the way, is uh, it actually says that, but I'll get there in a minute. Yeah, here it is. So in fact, this is the... Um, this is the New American Standard and the New King James. They translate it literally. Save, Lord, may the King answer us on the day we call. Um, the ESV and the NIV are probably right in getting at it, the request the way it is. So look at what's the difference between this and the way it is in the English Standard Version? Save, Lord, may the King answer us when we call, on the day we call. What is, what's the difference between that and the ESV? Save the king, and may he answer us when we call, right? So in the Hebrew, I, I don't want to bore you to tears. In the Hebrew, there's a mark that tells you where the thought ends, and then you move to the next thought. Well, the thought ends literally in the Hebrew and by the marking with save Lord, okay? But I think that the ESV and the NIV get it right when they say save the king, Lord. May he answer us when we call, because I think that's where that's going, okay? Just in case you have different translations, I just wanted to address it, and yes, are they right? Yes. Okay. Yes. 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 Absolutely. All right. So here's the 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 um, may he answer Bayom Karnu in the day we call. It's literally how it is in the Hebrew. The ESV just drops in the day. It's not a bad translation. I'm just pointing it out to you. Because what, then you realize, oh, first verse, first line, first verse, and the first line of the last verse talk about in the day. In the day is the bookends, are the bookends for Psalm 20. That's why I've been staying with in the day. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. Sorry. So what's being described by the king answering us when we call? Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. If you're praying for him as he's getting ready to go out to battle, what would verse 9 then be? What You're back to praying. What would verse 9 be praying for? What, what is the moment you're looking for? His return. So when he comes back, we say, Is that you, king? It's me, we won! Woo! Right? Answer us in the day we call. That's the scene it's there in verse 9. Does that make sense? I'm a little excited, but it's early in the morning. Most of you look like you're a little sleepy, so I just want to help you. But that's an interesting aspect. And when you get down to the end of Psalm 20, is that there's this, we want to celebrate. We want to hear you say, I'm back. I won. We want to hear it. We're praying for it. Okay? 
So the picture is, con uh, is conjured as you think about us calling to our king. Or I already gave you this. Uh, so it's us calling to our king and him to answer us. He's answering us. He's coming back and responding that he is success successful. He's won. So notice the word answer in verse 6 and answer in verse 9. If you're looking for repeats, which you should always do, there's answer in verse 6, the word answer in verse 6, the answer in verse 9. Yahweh answers the king. And what does the king, what do they want the king to be able to do in verse 9? Answer the people. There's an interesting connection there. The Lord answered the king, the king answered the people. Hmm, hmm, that sounds suspiciously New testament -ish. Yes! Okay? So what way would it be right to ask the Lord to save our king? Do we have a king? Yes, good answer. In what way? I mean, he's already won the victory. But at least, the, the, yeah, he's won the victory. It's being, the, 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 the victory is being worked out now. So the difference between D-Day and V-E-Day, right? D-Day was just, in essence, the victory that won the war, but the war wasn't over. So up until V-E-Day, it was, it was battles to the mop-up. But the, everybody says, everybody who knows the story, knows it deeply, knows that D-Day, the success of D-Day, won the war. Everything else was the outworking of that. That's where we're at right now. We're between D-Day. Christ died and was raised from the dead and ascended to heaven. And then VE Day, he will return. We're right there in the middle at the Battle of the Bulge and all the other stuff, but it's all part of the success of the king. Okay? So how can we be praying for, how can we ask, be asking the Lord to save our king? Cindy? Yes. Sure. Yeah. Right. So we're praying. So the destiny of the king is the destiny of the people, right? You're praying for the king. May the Lord, may your son's victory be, you know, worked out through us and may it be clearer and clearer, right? Things like that, okay? So do we already, uh, do we already do this? Do we already pray for the rescue or the victory of the king week after week? Do we? The trick question. Well, we do that. Yes, that's a declaration. Very good. But do we actually pray for the, the victory, the, uh, the Lord to save the king, as you think about it being the working out part? Do we do that week after week? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We will be praying that until Jesus returns because his kingdom hasn't come enough yet. His will's not being done enough yet on earth. We will be praying that to the end, but we can pray with confidence because the king has won and we're in that period between D-Day and V-E-Day. All right. Did you like my little origami thing again? All right, so take this whole psalm together, list the ways that we can engage it in our times of prayer, in our times of worship, when visiting someone, um, specifically someone who's in dire straits. We don't have time to go through all of these, but just be thinking through how can you actually employ Psalm 20. This week, and I took a couple times this week uh, around noontime after lunch. I'll be, I, I walk around the building outside, often unless it's freezing cold, and then I'll walk from inside to outside, you know, do the long round. But I used Psalm 20 to pray for us. Did that about three times this week. I mean, it was really, really very, very helpful. So be thinking about those things. Um, 
Here's your home project. This week, take Psalm 20 and work it out into your prayers and your devotional times. And I have an example. Yes, glad you asked if I had an example. I do. So somebody needs to help me out if you would. Alexander looks like a really willing young fellow. Can you pass some of these out? And Hal's going to pass them out. And then Brian, can you pass the rest of these out? This is just an example. I was working at this, trying to figure out how we could do this. And so I'm giving you this so that way you can, you can make fun of it. You can maybe think about employing it. You can say, yes, yes, no, no way I would do that. Yes, yes, yes. But I work it out. It's just six days. Is it six days? I think it's six days where I work it out how you, be, how you could use this psalm in your prayers this week. Okay? So very quickly, I'm going to do this very quickly. If I can get the bird off. There we go. Okay. So massage. I didn't misspell that. that. Not message, but massage. Massage. Work verses 1 through 5 of your prayers for those who are facing or in the middle of the day of trouble. If you know those people, maybe look at verses 1 through 5 and start using that for them. Day 1. Stay with Psalm 20. And then day 2, on behalf of others being oppressed or beat down or hounded and hunted, Maybe add verses 6 through 8 to your petitions for them. So on the second day, day 3, look at your adult kids. Some who are walking well with the Lord, some who aren't. Maybe a few who have walked away. And consider using verse, uh, using verse 6 for them, but with Psalm 19 verses 12 through 14 as the backdrop. Where God is working on them and keeping them from... Um, presumptuous sin and that the words of their mouth, meditation of heart will be acceptable in his sight and then may the Lord give them, Lord give them the desire of their hearts They'll be, um, and so forth. Just suggestions. These are suggestions. This is not on stone tablets coming from the top of Mount Sinai. You got it? Number four, pray for yourself. On day four, pray for yourself, your spouse and our congregation that verses seven through eight would zero in on our hearts and where we live. Praying for us that we would remember. Yeah, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember in the name of the Lord our God. They will fall down and be broken, but we will rise up and stand. So maybe praying for us that we would always have that in our hearts. Oh, I just did five days, sorry. So day five, remember that what we said earlier, as it goes with the king and his forces, so it goes with the people. Their destinies and fortunes are locked together. Uh, so pray for God to send the king victory that we may see him returning triumphant. So just some, some, uh, a way maybe this week you can use Psalm 20 for five days to actually be praying. Praying for specific people and situations and so forth. Okay, I'm done. Are you done? Anybody have any questions? Concerns? Oh, yes. 2018, it was the Advent series. Only reason I did is because I happened to look back at it the other day. So. Oh, nice. Yeah.
That's sad. That's sad that they've never thought of it. That was good. Right. Yep. Great. Excellent. Anybody else? All right, let's pray. Thank you, our Father in Heaven, for Psalm 20 being in the Bible. Thank you for its reminder. We do get off track very often. Sometimes we trust in the chariots, and sometimes we trust in the horses. And so, Lord, thank you for that reminder that our hope is in you. Um, Our confidence is in you. You're the one who is the God of Jacob. You're the one who answers in the day of trouble. And we can run to you and call out to you. And so, Lord, thank you. We pray now that as we move from this room into the sanctuary as we get ready to worship you, that that something in this psalm would stick in our hearts and fill our worship with adoration and awe of who you are and what you have done or doing will do for your people. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.